Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for yet another opportunity we get to study your word. Thank you for all we've studied so far in the book of First Thessalonians. Whether it's the joy of ministry, whether it's the strength to press on even in the face of persecution, whether it's about heaven and sons of God and all all of that good stuff. I, I thank you that even as we take a step further, our minds are receptive, our hearts are alert. I pray that we are set to receive the truth of your word. And I pray that beyond just receiving it as truth, that we're able to apply it to our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Welcome everyone again to Journey Through First Thessalonians Part 6, I believe. Uh, for the sake of the recording, if you haven't listened to last week's teaching, please give it a listen. Uh, it might not have much to do with what we're talking about in First Thessalonians, but it would definitely help your Christian perspective a whole lot. Today we're in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, chapter 4 verse 1. Uh, should I say fortunately? Should I say in contrast? Whichever one. <laughs> Today is going to be a lot lighter compared to what we talked about last week. It's as we've seen for the first three chapters of Thessalonians, it's been really straightforward, right? Uh, nothing too theologically complex, nothing that you're like, oh my goodness, I, I didn't get it. But however, like we said at the very start, or maybe in part two, that it's epistles like this we need to be very careful about, right? Because on one hand, you may not read it to necessarily get deep theological insights. It's like very practical, very clear. I mean, at the end of the day, he's writing to people that he discipled for just a few weeks, probably, before he had to leave through them to persecution. And he's literally just checking up on them and emphasizing certain things. So the nature of the letter itself is not meant to be as dense as Hebrews, that he's trying to write why Christianity is better than Judaism or is the ultimate of Judaism. That's a very, very complex topic. It's not like Romans where he's presenting his argument for what the gospel means in the face of a Jew and Gentile world. That's also very different. Uh, it's not First Corinthians where he's consistently addressing issues in the church or Second Corinthians where he's consistently validating his ministry. Those are a bit more complex topics. But a place like First Thessalonians is literally, hey, how are you? I miss you. I can't wait to see you. I hope you're still doing this, this and this. Don't forget to do this and this. Oh, you had a question about this. Here's the answer. I'll see you soon. That's First Thessalonians. And so, while it may not seem deep, in quotes, I think what places like this challenge us more is to evaluate our lives. And I always say it when I teach practical portions of the epistles like this, that beyond what you would hear, well, I mean, beyond just a mental, uh, oh, I, I, I got this, I got this, I got this, what portions like this should force you to do is sit back and take a sincere evaluation of your Christian walk and ask yourself, are there things I can do better? 
Are there places I can improve on? And let portions like this stir up Christian maturity in your day-to-day life. That's the portion of places like this. They occur so many times that you should not ignore it. It's in the later parts of Ephesians, the later part of Colossians, Colossians um, Colossians 3 and 4, Ephesians 4, 5 and 6, pretty much the whole of 1 Thessalonians, pretty much the whole of 2 Thessalonians, Romans from 12 down to 16, right? It's all about how to live out your Christian experience on a day-to-day basis. And so for that reason, don't just be excited when you learn that everybody lives in heaven. (laughs) Well, that is good. And that also has practical implications on your theological experience. Pay attention to where he says, don't lie. (laughs) As simple as that is, you say, oh, I, I, I get what that means. You sit down, you pray, you look at your life. Are there places that I'm not as truthful as I should be? When he says, oh, work hard to to take care of yourself and those around you, you ask yourself, am I as hardworking as I should be or do I slack off every now and then? Those are questions to ask yourself, right? That's how to actually apply portions like this. Amen. And so we might actually go past chapter four. I'm not sure. Um, There's not much I I think I'm going to dwell on per se because it's pretty clear. Um, But as we read, just let the word of God, that's why you're a believer, right? Your heart has been changed. Your heart is soft. (laughs) Let the word of God convict your heart in any area you can do better. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Bolu. Welcome, Ayo. Welcome, Christina. Welcome, Dami. And welcome to, I hope we're doing well and having a great weekend so far. All right. First Thessalonians 4 verse 1. Get out your Bibles, get out your writing materials, your notepads, and let us begin. As usual, I'm reading from the NKJV. Uh, Yes. All right. So let's go. It says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Just like every pastor, he's saying finally when there's two chapters to go. So he's not about to round up. <laughs> this is not final. But uh, if you remember all we've been talking about, uh, so far, like I, I summarized in chapter one, he commends their faith. I hope we still remember the context in which he met and left them. But he commends them that you all are still standing in, in the Lord. In chapter two, he talks about his ministry and the sacrifice that he has had to put to reach out to these people he talks about sending timothy in chapter three and timothy's testimony of their growth so this is like concluding words in general it says the first thing is what abound more and more in how you walk and please god it goes back to what we've been saying over and over and over again that no matter where you are in your christian journey there is room for growth it says i want you to abound more and more in your Christian experience. And every day or every moment we get to spend time with God should be that anticipation that, oh Lord, how can I pray more fervently? How can I love more fervently? How can I be more kind? How can I be more gentle? How can I exercise self-control better? How can I grow in my Christian experience? 
how can I grow in my Christian experience? Is it in knowledge? Is it in giving? Is it in in ministry? Is it in charisma? Right? How can I grow? This was where I was a month ago. This is where I am now. In what areas of my Christian experience have I seen the Spirit of God making me more like Christ? It should be a question we should ask ourselves often. Right? It says, walk more and more or abound more and more in your walk. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Uh, he's about to start to list what those commands are. But of course, we have an idea of what some of those Christian commandments were. In John 13, 34, for instance. John 13, 34. What did Jesus tell them? It says what? A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Walk in love, right? The same thing in 1 John 3, verse 23. 1 John 3, 23 and this is his command that we should believe in the name of his son jesus and love one another as he gave us commandments so he's about to list some of the things he told them when he was with them but of course we know one of those commands or the chief of those commands is to walk in love and i said it i think was it last week or last two teachings that if we can walk if we can learn to walk in love I think that was 1 Thessalonians 3.13, literally where he just ended. That if we can learn to walk in love, then there will probably be no area of your Christian life that will be lacking. Is it giving? Is it your compassion for the lost? Is it your compassion for believers? Is it ministry? If you can just learn to love more, you would see that your entire Christian experience would be better for it. But then he goes on. What are the commands he reminded them of when he was with them? Verse 3. <laughs> For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Do I need to do I need to dwell on this? I don't know. Is, it, is there someone here? If you are, do it no more. Sin no more. <laughs> this is the will of God, your sanctification. You should abstain from sexual. I'll read down and then we'll just go through it because this is very clear. That each of you should know how to possess his own or her own. But you say, ah! He said, only his, there's no ha, so it doesn't apply to me. His own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the Captain America, sorry, the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. The first instruction he gives, most, most likely because of the culture they find themselves, we see that in verse 5, like the Gentiles who do not know God, is don't be sexually immoral. <laughs> Very simple. Whether that's adultery, like he mentions in verse 6, that don't defraud your brother, don't go and sleep with your brother's wife, because God will avenge him. Right, don't do that. Whether it's your own body, don't be a fornicator, don't give in to sexual immorality, whether that's even in exposure, right? Don't expose yourself unduly to sexual, sexually immoral content activities. I I don't know, I don't know what I should say. <laughs> There's no it doesn't get any deeper than that. It's pretty clear. Hold your body <laughs> until you get married. That is the command of God. Simple, right? I believe that's clear. 
Uh, it says, he who rejects this in verse 8 does not reject man, but God who has given you his Holy Spirit. So just like a lot of other instructions, Paul is saying, this is not just from my head. This is the will of God. If you reject what I'm saying, you're rejecting God. It says, but concerning brotherly love, again, which I talked about, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And that's, it's interesting that Paul says this because John says something very similar. If you remember the book of 1 John, in 1 John 2, 1 John 2 verse 21, where John is like, I'm not writing because you don't know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. In verse 27, he says, the anointing that you've received, 1 John 2, 27, the anointing that you've received from him abides in you and you don't need anyone to teach you, but the same anointing teaches you all things. And that is true and it's not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you would abide in him. I've taught you guys what John is saying. He's not saying you don't need anyone to teach you Christianity. He's not saying he doesn't, you don't need anyone to teach you how to grow. He's simply talking about the witness of, of the identity of Jesus in a Christian heart. That as soon as you're saved, in fact, the reason you're saved is because you reckon Jesus to be Lord. Right? Romans 10. Romans 10.10. 10, right? And he's saying that as a believer, you have that witness about who Jesus is as the Son of God. It's the same thing Paul is saying. That every believer has been taught of God to love one another. The idea there is clear that in the gospel, if you truly understand the gospel rather, you would love people. That's why the whole book of 1 John is that anyone who hates his brother is in darkness even until now. It says he who hates does not know God. Because if you've been truly saved, how can you walk in hatred towards another brother or another sister? It's not possible. It's not possible. And you can say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't hate. Me, hate, hate, God forbid it. <laughs> I am born of love. But again, it's in the little things. Are there places where you did not walk in love? Are there things you did that was driven more by self-preservation than by concern for the other person? That, oh, if I didn't do this, ah, they would have taken advantage of me. <laughs> we read in 1 Corinthians 13 what love looks like, what sacrificial love looks like. Oh, I, I can't do this now. They, they, ah, they don't deserve it. <laughs> That's not love. That's not love. And so, again, We've talked about it in 1 Corinthians 13. We've talked about it in 1 John. It's coming up again in 1 Thessalonians. How can you learn to love better? Whether it's with unbelievers you meet at school or at the workplace, wherever you go, whether it's with believers that you, you have around you, how can you learn to love better? Because the, the Spirit of God is already within you, teaching you to love. It is there. And so it's just a matter of responding to that spirit. It's a matter of, and that's why you'd notice every, I mean, everyone can relate to this, right? Let's say there's a time, a season in your life, you didn't pray as much as, let's say you went two, three days, you didn't pray, you didn't study. All of a sudden, <laughs> you just notice that you just, something happens and you you flare up or you respond in a setting where you're like, ah, this is not, this is not usually me. Or let's say the opposite. Let's say you spent the day you prayed that morning. 
you spent time with god you read your bible you started the day on a high and as someone annoys you and you're able to 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 just play it off a lot better why <laughs> because through devotion you've allowed yourself to respond more to your spirit your spirit is born of god your spirit or the holy spirit in you and your spirit are one always teaching you or influencing you to do the right things it's just that in certain times of our lives maybe more than others at some points we are not as in tune with that spirit as we should be and other times maybe we are which is why the instruction to always stay praying always stay in the word always have a sober mind is there so that at every situation before you act out of anger before you act out of your flesh you are able to ask yourself what is the spirit of god telling me to do in this moment that's usually the difference because for many believers in that split second it, it's just a matter of timing right they know what the right thing is and which is why let's say they do something and let's say an hour later or 30 minutes later five minutes later they're like oh i should have handled this a bit better but the point of being spirit-filled is about timing. That when those impulses come, how quick are you to respond in the spirit and not in the flesh? How quick are you to do what God wants you to do in that moment? Not what you want to do. And then two months later, or let's say two hours later, you now start shalaying, ah, you know, I should not have done this. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean it like that and all of that. No, if you were walking in step with the Spirit, you would not have made that mistake in the first place. That's why the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, be alert, don't sleep. Masun, ji, masun, right? So that at every moment, once you're provoked, once those impulses come, once those decisions, that time to make a decision comes, you're full of the spirit you know what you should do in that moment all right and so he goes on it says you've been taught by god to love one another and indeed you do so already towards all the brethren in macedonia but we urge you brethren that you what increase more and more so there's always room for growth oh mommy Anne, you are so kind you are so generous is it true <laughs> you love god's people so much i admire how you are always giving yourself for the people of God, <laughs> it says, I urge that you increase more and more. Oh, Bookie. <laughs> it says, true. Oh, mommy and your people are coming for you. That's good. <laughs> oh, Bookie. Oh, you love God. You love God's people. But uh... <laughs> it says what? That you increase more and more. You increase more and more. Oh, I became such a generous person. That's how I needed this. And she just gave it. And I'm, I don't even know if it was her last. This is, she just, just helped me. I would, I'm such a generous person that you increase more and more. Ah, she knows the word of God. You can't ask her any question from the Bible and she will not have an answer. It says what? That you increase more and more that you increase more and more. What should I say? say ah, you don't have anything to say. <laughs> That's fine. That you increase 
Mall. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mall. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, let me not drag anybody again. But that's the point. No matter what is positive, no matter what seems like there's room for growth, there is. It doesn't really matter. Like Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind. I press on. I press on. I press on. Amen. And then verse 11. I will read this twice just so that everyone can listen. It says that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. I will say it again. That you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Ayo. <laughs> <laughs> is the word of God touching your heart to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you it seems like this verse does not give room for me to have a sugar mommy unfortunately <laughs> I have to work with my own hands I cannot marry a rich wife <laughs> I'm just joking <laughs> but let's let's take it apart <laughs> Well, I can actually do and just be studying the word of God. It's still work. Uh, <laughs> it says what? Lead a quiet life. Does that mean, oh, uh, oh, if you are noisy, if you are an extrovert, no, be quiet. Don't make noise. Don't be on the list of noisemakers. No. When it says be <laughs> to lead a quiet life, it just means orderly and peaceful. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't, don't uh, in your families, in your societies, don't be troublesome. Don't let it be that, ah, 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 Shay, Shay, ah, we know her. <laughs> we know Shay. <laughs> if she was in office today, don't be that believer. Don't be that believer. All right, don't be that person that if you are not around, there is peace. If you are around, everyone has to work on eggshells because we know it's just with she. <laughs> it's the opposite. She is absolutely not like that. She minds her business. But if you're around, everyone has to be careful because they know that if you if we try nonsense, you will give us back. See, I don't take nonsense. Have you heard some believers say that? I don't, because I'm a Christian doesn't mean you can just walk all over me. I don't take nonsense. If you do me enough, I will give you back to you. <laughs> That's not the spirit of God. As in, I'm crazy. It's... As in, yeah, everybody knows that. So, try Jesus, no, try me because I throw hands. <laughs> say, yeah. Wow, amazing. Amazing. He says, what? You know, I, I'm not like all those Christians. <laughs> I'm not like all those Christians that you think you can just do anyhow. No, if you show me, I will. Ah. <laughs> Where did you learn that from? As in, let's say, forget Bible. This is real life. You are, you are a sinner. <laughs> you're an embarrassment <laughs> oh my gosh it says lead a quiet life don't be a disturbance to your <laughs> if you cut my if you arrest my master I will cut off your ear that's just how it is <laughs> I will cut off your ear it says live a quiet life don't don't be disorderly don't be troublesome don't, don't have a reputation for someone that causes nuisance. As a Christian, 
don't be that person don't don't say ah that's just that's just how i am or oh, i i i get emotion i react no 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 it's not how you are how you are is verse 9 you've been taught of god to love one another this is why i have anger no you don't have anger issues well even if you do work on it work on it that's not how you are you are not troublesome you are not someone that causes disturbances to the peace of people around them you shouldn't be the person in the family he says my zodiac sign mercury is in retrograde <laughs> you know at this time of the year you know as in us capricorns uh us us tauruses we just get aggressive you are possessed literally actually you are influenced by demonic spirits <laughs> so i mean that in every sense of the word you are possessed sequelio <laughs> don't be that person don't be that person that in your family you are the one that has started to do monthly vigils or you are the same one that your mom has to remind you to do this to do that and you are stressing the poor woman's life why why don't let don't let that that contradiction be there where in devotional in in spiritual activities we see you praying we see you studying we see the fervency but it doesn't translate to the practical aspects of your life people are still nervous around you because they don't know how you're going to react if they say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing that's a problem it's a problem it's a problem right and if you notice and, and i want you to think about this even from just the perspective of Paul giving this as an instruction right because this comes up a lot how christian communities should conduct themselves in an unbelieving world because this is a new religion in an in in an empire where people already don't they are, they are very uneasy because it's like you're saying jesus is king of the world when there's caesar the roman emperor is right there in a place where people are being persecuted in a place where if they if you become a christian you are not sure what can happen you can lose everything you've worked your entire life for and so paul is like don't make it any harder for people to receive our message by your behavior that yes they may think we are heretics yes they may think we are rebels to the emperor that's fine Voices, don't give them an actual reason. Let it just be a rumor. Be good citizens. We learned that in Peter. It says, honor the king. Don't be arrested for anything that you had, like for your bad behavior. Don't. Don't give Christianity a bad name. It's a very vital part. A lot of times we're quick to say, oh, it's the message that saves. It's the, and it's true. It's the message that saves. But a lot of people's openness to the message depends on your conduct. There are many people that will not receive Christianity today because of what a believer has done. Because of someone who claimed to be Christian. They did the Yoruba demon. <laughs> it was it was a map leader in church. But he just did heart like this. He said, ah, these Christian brothers, never again. <laughs> never again <laughs> right or let's say it was let's let's say this person is is a muslim or something and 
he had a contract and he was a Christian and he's like, oh, don't worry, sir. We'll get the job done. Or let me say Christian Taylor. <laughs> that one everybody can relate. He said, oh, by this time next week, it will be done by the grace of God. You now bring God in to something that your laziness cannot cover. By the grace of God, by this time next week. And then, of course, they disappoint. And what you need to realize is that whether due to the nature of the world, whether due to the influence of the devil, when Christians mess up, people don't see that we are humans and we are error-prone. They see our profession of faith immediately. We see it all the time. If a Christian should, if even when we're in school, and it's just the nature of life. I, I don't know if you, let's say when you were in secondary school, there was, let's say, one person or maybe two people that really tried to be good in their conduct, right? That really wanted to love God and they mess up. Oh my goodness. All of us, so as bad as we are, we're not like, ah, you, you, <laughs> you use the F word, look at, and you call yourself a Christian or, or this, that, and it's like, there are extra eyes on you just because you've named the name of Christ. What Paul wants you to know is that it will continue to be that way. But don't down say, yeah, me too, am I not human? <laughs> Paul says what? Don't give them an excuse. Don't give them a reason to mock your testimony. It's one of the most painful things a Christian should hear is what, we, what I put in the chat and you call yourself a Christian. It should pain you. It should, it should, it should hurt you bad. Ah, yes, I know we're not perfect. Yes, I know we make mistakes. Right? But as far as our Christian testimony is concerned, it is a very big deal. Very big deal. Very big deal. For the sakes of the people to which we are reaching out to, it is a very, very big deal. Because the world is watching. In case you are not aware, the world is watching. And Paul says, inspired by the Spirit of God, let us, how, <laughs> there's this quote, I can't remember um, word for word. It says, people are watching, give them something to stare at or something like that. I can't remember. But the world is watching, let, give them a good show, in quotes, right? Not that you're living for the approval of men or that you are trying to, no, 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 no but to God and for the sake of the salvation of men. Hold that name with integrity. That was actually how the word Christian came about. This were a group of people who were saying Jesus had risen from the dead and were acting in a certain way. In a certain way. There was even a time in history, I can't remember which of these historians was writing how people wanted to be in Christian neighborhoods because they were safer, the neighbors were kinder. It was a more wholesome community to be in that is that should be the testimony that if at all they don't like you it should be because of what you believe not because of things you've done that are actually wrong don't be badly behaved don't be badly behaved it is lead a quiet life to mind your own business to mind your own business simply don't be a meddler don't don't be carrying. Have, have you heard? Have you heard? Ah, have you have you heard what this person? Ah, ah, it's a gist. <laughs> I have what's gist. Why? Mind your own business. 
don't be a busy body so for instance in second thessalonians 3 verse 11 he talks about it says we hear that there are some of you that walk in a disorderly manner you're not working at all but are busy bodies you don't have anything you are doing you're just going around talking from one place to the other just making noise and you're a christian why in first timothy 5 verse 13 first timothy 5 verse 13 says they should learn sorry it says they learn to be idle wandering about again from house to house and they are not only idle but they are also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not saying things they ought not this gossiping thing is a big deal everybody here including myself we need to work on it you need to ask yourself to what extent do i really need to talk about another person's business what extent is it out is it is it just for the sake of knowing is it out of a, a sincere desire to help do i just want to do i just enjoy hearing other people's matters it's a problem it's a problem it is actually non-christian in case you are not aware it's non-christian <laughs> the chat is quiet don't worry everybody including myself i'm on this table don't worry. so if let me make let me help you all but it's true before anyone tells you something you should ask yourself if it's not if it's about another person do i really need to know especially if it's not positive if it's not positive do i really need to know do i really need to know do i really need to know and that's the thing about a believing community so for instance <laughs> think about what is happening when this letter has been read remember it's not personal bible study that didn't exist <laughs> per se at that time many of them could not even read right and they didn't have access to bibles anywhere so they are all gathered and now the elder of the church is reading lead a quiet life mind your own business so what that means is that whenever you read portions of the bible like this two things should come to your mind number one is personal accountability but very quickly very quickly behind it should be mutual accountability mutual accountability because that is what that's the context in which these letters were read and so i'm standing and Uchoma is by my side Olu is by my side and we're all hearing mind your own business so all of a sudden i am thinking about the fact that as a christian i should mind my own business but that means i should also be accountable to people around me so i should not bring be the one bringing other people's businesses to them similarly they've also heard the same thing i had so tomorrow they can't come and start telling me other people's business because we all had it together so everyone is accountable does that make sense there's there's that sense of collective account so for instance for everyone here now you've heard these words today if some of you are in the same friend groups tomorrow or tonight if someone calls and says eh i have gists hey, oh no 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 we, there's no gist in jesus name <laughs> yeah, I mean, you say exactly you say ah no we were both there we heard daniel say <laughs> that we should all mind out they say does it concern me you should ask help your help that person so you say does it concern me 
If you say no, say, is it positive? <laughs> Will it help me see the person in a better light? If they say no, you say, ah, but we both heard. <laughs> we both heard. I'm sorry. I'm not interested. I'm not in. That's the Christian thing to do. Many times, and this is why they said there's always room for growth because you can always say, oh, I'm loving. Oh, I don't lie. I don't steal. Sexual immorality. Me? I don't watch such. I've not done such. But do you mind your business? <laughs> this is as simple as that. Do you mind your business? Do you mind your business? <laughs> May the Lord give us grace. <laughs> it's actually very hard. Honestly, if you think about it, to practically live life and all your friendship interactions, avoiding gossip, it's not easy. It's not easy. But it's what God has called us to do. Mind your business. <laughs> See, if when if when it's physical, I would have said, say to your neighbor, mind your business. <laughs> say, don't give me gist. Don't give me gist. I don't want to hear. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and it says, what next? To work with your own hands. To work with your own hands. Meaning, don't be lazy. There should be something you are doing. Say, what do you do for a living? I chill. <laughs> What do you do for him? If Paul had you, Paul would have vexed. <laughs> he would have changed it for you. <laughs> what do you do for a living? I chill. I'm a baby girl. <laughs> As in, soft life. I say I do my best. I do my best for a living. Say I'm a baby girl. I'm a baby boy. Say what do you do for a living? I'm married. <laughs> That's what I do for a living. I take care of my wife and the kids. Which by the way in some contexts might not necessarily and i'm not saying that this means everyone should have a nine to five don't get me wrong this is not saying everyone should be in career or in business is <laughs> that spending so much so that's my full-time job i'm managing so i'm managing the risk the financial resources of this family that is my job <laughs> oh my goodness so like i said this is not saying don't have he said if i don't see to the money who will debtor <laughs> um this is not saying don't have um, everybody must have a nine to five or something no it just means nobody should be idle nobody should be idle nobody should be idle they should not say these christians are lazy they should not say that. If it's in a family where, let's say, one spouse has decided to bring in money and the other spouse should focus on uh, raising kids, do it diligently. Don't, between the hours of 10 and 3, when your children are not around, you are not going around. You say, ah, you just be calling people, how far now? Have you heard? Have you heard? You say, ah, what I, mm, 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 mm. Don't be idle. <laughs> Don't be idle. Don't be idle. That's that's the moral. However, that that can apply differently in different cultures, different families, different financial circumstances. But the key there is don't give yourself to laziness. It should not be a Christian characteristic that you enjoy 
being idle. Again, another table because even myself, as you are talking to me like this, I want to just chill. <laughs> that is my dream job. I want to chill. Although, well, but even if you don't have a nine to five, don't be idle. Let there be something. You say here's the time to cook. Let there be something you're 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 doing with your time, something productive. If you are in ministry, be diligent at it. Don't see it as an opportunity to flex. Friday night you brush up your notes. Saturday you um Sunday you teach. Or so Saturday night you brush up your notes, Sunday you teach. So just for five hours and you are done. <laughs> Till the next week. You are irres- you're irresponsible. That's the truth. You're irresponsible. You're irresponsible. The point there is be diligent. Be hardworking. See the value of work and give yourself to the value of work. Even when God created human beings, he said he put them in the garden to tend and to keep it. Idleness again. So I like this verse because it's talking about subtle things we don't necessarily take track of. On one hand, being troublesome is not a Christian character. Number two, being a busybody, unnecessarily involved in, in the matters of other people, it's not a Christian trait. Number three, idleness. This is not saying you don't have vacations. This is not saying you can't, your, your husband can't be or your wife can't be so wealthy that you don't necessarily have to work a nine to five. That's not what this is saying. It's just saying, don't be comfortable being an idle person. That you wake up every day and you have no dream, no nothing to do for that day, but just wake up, whatever the day brings, and then go back to sleep. No, don't be idle. Don't be idle. And then he says all these things. Why? Verse 12. So that you may walk properly towards those that are outside. So again, he's saying it that he even tells you that the reason these three things are important is because you're surrounded by unbelievers and they are watching so that our conduct around them will not be one that they can point at and say, ah, this Ayo or this Tokwe. It should not be, you should not be the person if they tell you something, say the whole world has known. Ah, Christian, that's horrible. Or they'll say you are lazy. No, that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. So number one, so that people outside will have a good report. And number two, so that you have you lack. <laughs> you have something to... Paul says, I worked hard so that I may meet my needs and those around me. Right? So that you have. Of course, there are people that already have a surplus <laughs> without having to work. But it doesn't change. But don't be idle. Again, I've said this. Not, I'm not saying go and start applying to jobs. Don't be idle. Don't be idle. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. All right? And then he goes on. Oh, I think someone asked what constitutes as gist. I'm not sure I get the question. Do you mean where is where do we draw the line with gossip or where don't we? Is that what you're asking? Like on a practical level, what is what is uh <laughs> what is gossip and what is not? I think very simply a simple a very easy way to think about it is 
if you knowing has no no would not like if you knowing does nothing to change what has happened first of all those are just i'm going to just list things to think about if it's not going to change meaning that neither of you have a direct um interaction with uh with the person in question and so you're just hearing for hearing sake so that you can say hmm christians of nowadays <laughs> no that's number one number two if you knowing will paint the person in a negative light that's number two number three if this is not information that is publicly available so my point is the information has to be shared in secrecy right so of course that already rules out things like celebrity you say oh Kanye broke up with Kim that's not gossiping the whole world knows why and how that happened right that's not necessarily gossiping um if it's have you heard what this person did uh-huh. we've entered a new territory it's not public knowledge how did the person in question that's about to, how did he how did they even find out in the first place right um so i think those are three things let me see if anyone can think of more you can put it in the chat actually um what where do we draw the line between things i should hear and things i should not like the three things i said was if what did i say first i said this was off the top of my head, so i can't remember if <laughs> um i think the first thing was yes if you have no direct contact with the person to change what has happened meaning you are just there to hear number two if it's if it's going to paint the person in a negative light right it's going to paint the person in a negative light and number three if it's not necessarily public knowledge another easy way to think about it is if the person was standing there would you still share that information right that's another way to think about it so you can say, oh, this person just got married. Say, ah, this person is pregnant. Oh, this person just got a child. Even that, that pregnant one, culturally, that can be, we can debate. I don't know. But say, oh, this person just gave it that. I think that's fine. I, like, there's nothing wrong in saying someone just had a child or something. Um, like, especially because the reason you know is that they posted it online or something like that. That's, um, God bless your faith. If it happened to you, how would you want people to handle that information? That's another way of thinking about it. How would you <laughs> say what they want to pray about? It? That's that's one of the most hypocritical Christian things we could say. Hmm. Let's pray for Brother John. Say, ah, what happened? Say, ah, you have not heard. Say, and I'm saying this so that we can be praying for him. Oh, you are you are serious. It says, what if the person's name is not mentioned? Yes, which someone mentioned motive. If the person's name is not mentioned, what is the motive? Like, why are you sharing it? That's another thing to ask. Like, why are you sharing the information? Are you sharing it to make up for conversation? Are you sharing it because there's a sincere desire to actually again be a part of the solution i think those are things there's no black and white line as to what is gossip or what is being a busybody and what is not but my point is the the, the good thing about this is as you grow in love 
And we can often tell that was this something that I should have talked about or I should have listened to? Or was this something that I ah, it's not really it's not really my concern. Right? I think another area might also be <laughs> this one is even um exactly this one is even harder. It's not a negative information, but it's private information. <laughs> right? Such that you know the person doesn't necessarily want you to know all right let's say um i'm laughing because i know that we are in it's a secret relationship i know that many of us many of us might fall my fault to let's say someone did something right and they don't it's a good thing and they don't want people to know about it and then you found out and now you're telling other people uh you can ask yourself really do do i need to share that information something to ask someone can ask what about husband and wife <laughs> i leave that between you your wife your husband and god <laughs> um so if it's roommate dilemmas like what you said delight i i assume what that is for well okay yes you could also ask what about ranting right if someone like let's say roommate dilemma i had as i'm saying it now self i'm talking about the issue right but i had a roommate that the fridge was always full the kitchen was always dirty and it was very very frustrating yes i i i think i agree with you tammy and it goes back to again motive and all of that and so i'm on the phone with my parents and they're like oh, how's everything and i'm like my kitchen is a mess <laughs> or i'm talking with my brother like i don't get it why is this guy dirty right my kitchen is a mess i don't think that's necessarily gossiping because it directly affects you in that regard and although i would i would say that again it's something to the point there is i can't come as i tell you what this is this this is this, this, this just just be conscious don't 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 just give in to what seems most natural right again because of how much influence society has on our minds it's very easy to see as normal things that we probably should not be doing in the first place but think about it all right i i mean i might have no problem sharing with my friends my experience as a roommate my experience as a worker and so i can say oh my manager does this and this or oh my coworker again not gossip now i'm saying how i interact with them that oh this person is always rude to me right that kind of thing i can i think i can share that but again make sure that the people you are sharing with also have sense let it not be a conversation that only solidifies a negative perspective of a person even if you make a complaint even if you are ranting in quote it should not be such that you leave that conversation seen that person in a worse light than you started off because that's not love <laughs> love believes the best of people love teaches us to forgive love teaches us to see that people can be better or if anything to see that people are weak and so the weaknesses might have accounted for their actions and to bear with them so it should be with people that have sense that will teach you that oh i'm sorry to hear that maybe you can do this when next your manager oh or be praying i'll be praying with you that your manager has more sense something like that that's even a lot better not that you don't want to say ah, that manager self if i see that and 
So both you and the person leave that conversation seeing your manager in a worse light. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think so. I don't think so. So even in ranting, even in sharing, like just think about what true love, what God's love looks like. Another question you can add to that list, do I leave that conversation seeing the person um, more differently than God? How does God see them? How does God see your manager? How does God see that dirty roommate or that, that insensitive roommate of yours? So even if you're telling your friends that ah, you won't believe I brought food and the next morning the food was gone, it should not just be so that everyone has a laugh and everyone is aware that your roommate is a greedy, sorry, is an insensitive, they may not be greedy, it might be an insensitive slob or whatever. No, 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 no. No. You can share that information on how it affected you, but still bring everyone's mind at least someone in that conversation can still bring everyone's mind to what a Christian should think about that person. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. And it takes a lot of maturity. Trust me, what we're discussing is one of the hardest things, which is why you'd see James saying, if you can be perfect in your in, in the words of your mouth, you're a perfect man. You're, see, there's nothing. If your words are always correct, there's nothing you, are, you have, you've mastered self-control to its ultimate because these things are easy very easy very easy but there are things that it doesn't make the standard any less lower just because of how difficult it is to abide right this is the standard of walking in love and it's something we should think about something we should think about so i'm not saying don't share your grievances at work or at um at home but be very conscious of the intentions of the message you're passing. Is it just to have a laugh? Is it just so that there's something to talk about? Is it, is it to pass on information that you shouldn't even have had access to and the people you are telling have no business having access to it? Those are things to think about. Those are things to think about. Um, again, leave today reflecting all of us including myself let's think are there are there things i should stop saying at least one step at a time highlight the obvious ones first are there clear things that i'm saying to others that i should not be telling them are there things i'm doing am i, I do i find myself in groups where i'm having to deal with i should be conscious of that I should be conscious of that being a busybody is not a christian trait at all all right all right so are we good to go? <laughs> so, um, I'm not sure there's a direct answer. But like people have said in the chat and like I've said, you can check your heart. You have the spirit of God, at least to an extent. You can hold each other accountable. If you have close friend groups, hold each other accountable. That, oh, guys, let's be careful. Like if we find ourselves, let's let's pull ourselves back. At least one person, hopefully, and even if after the conversation, let's say no one there at the moment was spirit-filled enough to say, no, let's not do this. If you think I say, be bold enough to say, ah, I don't think we should have talked about this. Or even though I've said, let's say you said, said even though I've said this, I want you guys, don't leave with this. At least be praying for them and remind me to be conscious of the fact that I'm a Christian interacting with them and I can make them better. Stuff like that, right? That's That's a healthier way to rant. That's a healthier way to after the call that's it if you did not catch yourself <laughs> if you didn't catch yourself in time you can always still make amends 
and even if it's corrective after the fact people every your friends your friend group will become more conscious of it friend group will become more conscious of it all right um let's go on (laughs) um it says verse 13 but i do not want you to be ignorant right i love when paul posts that a lot concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope i would read till verse 18 and then we'll explain i will probably just end don't worry i took a lot of your time last week so i will gladly give you back a few minutes from today it says for if we believe that jesus died and rose again even so god will bring with him those who sleep in jesus for this we say to you by the word of the lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the lord will by no means precede those who are asleep for the lord himself will descend from heaven <laughs> and i just saw from heaven remember last week the lord himself will descend from heaven with his shouts with the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of god and the dead will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the lord dangling in the air we'll just be flying in the air (laughs) i'm sure following last week's teaching you understand what that means therefore comfort one another with these words very beautiful portion of scripture i remember um when i lost a dear friend of mine and i just kept reading reading this portion very beautiful and why paul says the reason verse 18 comfort one another with these words these are words of comfort words of comfort to that christian to that believer that loses a loved one this paragraph is a word of comfort so let it comfort you let it comfort you and we see this happening we saw it happen with the thessalonians we saw it happen with the corinthians right it was the idea that and it just shows you the kind of message that was preached that there was a clear anticipation that jesus was going to come and make right all the wrong in the world and we're going to reign with him forever like it was there was no church where paul went to that he did not make that hope clear he made it very clear that at the end of the day remember if our salvation is in this life alone then we have all men most miserable right i think that's first corinthians 15. so he made it very clear that there is there is something that as you place faith in jesus there is something you are looking forward to there is something you are looking forward to and we've talked about that in first peter for instance that since this is how the world what kind of life the hope of the return of christ is what influences our decisions on a daily basis like we know that this life is in the end as i said if it were if we were in this world if our salvation was for only this world our faith in jesus was in this world alone it says we have carried last we have suffered we have all men to be pitied the most because we've sacrificed so much we have we we have we have believed something so great that if it was just you die and that's the end <laughs> we're in trouble and so it was a big part of the message but what then happens is 
I mean, these are these people don't they don't know anything. Now you've been born into a Christian home or you've been born into a Christian community. You understand the idea of in quotes heaven and hell and life after death and all of that. For these people, they're like, okay, Jesus is coming soon. Some of them were like, there's no need to work, which is where, for instance, verse 11, okay, like they were actually believers like, ah, if Jesus is coming soon, then why do I need to go to the farm every day? Why am I, why am I stressing myself? I'll just wait for him to come. That was one category, which makes sense, right? If you like, Jesus is coming soon. He's actually coming soon, right? There were some people that are like, oh, Jesus is coming soon. And then let's say their spouse dies. Like, ah, I thought Jesus was coming soon. What, what's going to happen to my spouse? Or their friend gets killed. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. They just killed my friend. And so a common question in the Gentile nations was, what happens to believers after they die? After all, Jesus was meant to come soon. And that's why Paul has to say, ah, please, oh. um, or even, sorry, Peter, a thousand years is like a day. A day is a thousand years. Jesus has been coming soon since Jesus died. He has, he has said he will come back. And it's over to 2,000 years later. And he's that's still the hope that he's coming soon, right? But soon can be 3,000 years later. You can say, ah, Jesus is coming soon. I don't need to study anymore. And there were people that were that radical. I've read, I've listened to many pastors talk about how in their schools then, when there was like, in quote, a revival that came or people got very serious with their work with God. It, at the same vein, they just lost a sense of worth. <laughs> For anything physical <laughs> and so they didn't care about studying they just wanted to pray they didn't care how their grades were because after all to live is christ and to die <laughs> and they weren't doing well in school or they didn't they, they said they're not going to get married because after all jesus is coming soon right and there was that there has there, there needed to be that balance that no what you do in this life still matters please work hard go and read do well in school Yes, Jesus is coming soon, but that's soon. Maybe your great, great, great grandchild, though. You will not now, because of your zeal, <laughs> live such an irresponsible life that you can't take care of your wife and kids or your husband or your family, your parents. It's irresponsible. I mean, think about it. It's so bad that, in fact, they said anyone that cannot provide for his household, they say he's worse than an infidel. <laughs> it's a big deal, right? It's a, and So that's not like saying, oh, maybe business didn't do well or you got laid off no the idea there is that due to laziness due to the fact that you didn't find something with your hands to do the people around you that you are responsible for are lacking he says you are worse than an unbeliever you are you are a disgrace to christianity that's what paul said and so there is that sense in which we can hold on to the reality that oh at the end of the day we know what matters in eternity but there should be that counterbalance that my actions in this earth still matter. And so I would be, if I'm in career, I will be diligent. I will be hardworking and people will see it. If I'm in business, I will be diligent. I will be hardworking. If there's something else I'm doing outside business or I will be diligent. No one would say I'm lazy. I say, oh, this one, they just think that just is good to go. That, that insult in quotes that they say, uh, heavenly minded, whatever. I don't even know what it is. Earthly, relevant, something, something. I don't know. Don't be a believer that in this life, people are like, ah, why are you so lazy? Why are you so... No, 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 no. There's a balance to that. 
But anyways, bringing it back to the coming of the Lord, they had that question that people have died. What's going to happen to them? And he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. That's the word because people were ignorant concerning those who are falling asleep. So these were probably some of the things he couldn't fully teach them because he didn't spend so much time with them. I love that phrase, falling asleep. It's a beautiful Christian description of death. That death is really not the end. If you have a loved one that died in Christ, they are only asleep, just like Lazarus. They are only sleeping. And yes, just like Lazarus, the world will mock. And say, ah, this Christian, what do you mean? But again, just like Lazarus, once Jesus arrives, remember last week, once Jesus arrives, the dead will be raised. Even death is no longer a finality. Does that make sense? And that's what he's telling them. And he's saying that if you have that in mind, you won't sorrow as others who have no hope. Again, just like Lazarus. That, like, And I, I talked about this briefly last week, but again, study, the, study that Lazarus. It was literally a teaching on the resurrection of the last day. Right? Falling asleep, people think all hope is lost. People are like, we say, I said, they are mocking, they are laughing. And like, what, what's, you have come again. And he's like, no, anyone who believes in me will never die. And so there were people there that were crying. That, oh my God, Lazarus. And we have that in the world. It, it's something, it's something we, we, exactly, he came two days later, he waited. The same way he's waiting now for more people to get saved. He waited. He waited. And then he came. The point is that he arrived and it doesn't matter how bleak the situation looked when he came. Lazarus was raised from the dead. It doesn't matter how long it takes for Jesus to come. The dead will rise again. Death is not the end. We have a life after this life. And he says, don't sorrow like those who have no hope. It's, it's one of the saddest um, consequences of atheism. Right. If if you if you you're someone that involves yourself in apologetics, which you should, it's one of the questions to ask. That as an atheist, what then do you look forward to? And on one hand, of course, if you believe that there's no God and this is all there is, this is the natural consequence. When we die, that's it. But then, and so you then ask, what gives life its meaning? And of course, some people will say, oh, I've I've learned to find meaning in the little things. I've learned to find meaning in just making the most. Um, <laughs> someone said, my body will become manure for a tree. And that's my ultimate purpose. Some, some, some say, oh, as long as I, like, I just want to live a good life and have my memory live on in the, in the, in the, ones of, in the, in the minds of those that love me. Oh, I just want to live a legacy. Some say, oh, I'm just making, I'm just living life one day at a time and just expressing joy and when i die i die like it's that kind of apathy that there's not much to life but it's scary and if this is all there is then life life is almost meaningless and of course i won't say it's meaningless because we can still find joys in friendships in relationships in love in success and all those things but at the end of the day it's all going to go right or for instance, you lose a loved one. If this is all there is, then 
you are sorrowing because you know that that's the end of that person. That's the end of that person. If your parents die to old age, that's it. They've lived long. We move on. Right? But Paul is saying that's not Christianity. Every time we mourn the death of a believer, it should come from a place of knowledge, not ignorance. Right? He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. We sorrow, yes. But we have a hope. But I know that, oh, this person, I would see them someday. They're not dead. They're just asleep. They are still here and I will meet them again. And on the, on the opposite spectrum, let that motivate you to evangelism. Because what that means is that anyone who dies outside Christ is actually lost, is actually dead. Like, I'll talk about, uh, someone asked me a question last week about life and death. Um, and I'm going to talk about it in Romans. What exactly does it mean to live? What exactly does it mean to die? Of course, we have an idea of that. Living is not just breathing in air and out. True life is found in God. And death is anything outside God. And so you can be breathing or be dead. But we'll talk about that at length when we get to Romans, especially I think Romans 6. Um, But the point there is if we in Christ, when we lose a loved one, we have so much hope. It then means that if anyone dies outside Christ, then it's actually, it's, it's, it's done. And so let that even motivate you. You have friends family that don't know the lord if not for anything so that they would not actually be gone when they die reach out to them reach out to them reach out to them it goes on it says as we round up for if we believe that jesus died and rose again even so right why because we share in that spirit the same spirit that rose um christ from the dead will quicken our mortal bodies even though there's a direct context we'll get to romans 8 but the point there is the spirit of god in us right is the assurance we have that when christ returns the same way he rose we're going to rise again and he says we say this to you by the word of the lord verse 15 that we who are alive will not precede us so in fact the dead in christ Will rise first. I think 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the same thing. The dead in Christ will rise first. It says the Lord will descend from heaven, meaning from the spirit, and we would see him in the physical. And with the shout of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise. And this is the image of this. He's describing um in that culture, right? Whenever a king comes back from a war, whenever a king arrives at a, at a city. What happens is that the city sends delegates to go meet him before he gets into the city and then welcome him into the city. And that's the idea Paul is saying that, oh, Jesus as the king of this world, Jesus coming at the end of all times, the dead in Christ would rise to go and meet him and welcome him. And we all will then be changed, right? That's the description. He's just using that same metaphorical description of the arrival of royalty that we who are alive will then be caught up together with him or with them in the air and those who would always be with the lord would always be with the lord after he brings an end to all that is wrong with the world and makes a new heaven and earth we would reign with god forever he says comfort each other 
So you wake up one day and you're like, why is there so much evil in the world? Read First Thessalonians 4. There is something coming. You lose a loved one. Read First Thessalonians 4. Comfort. You have a friend that loses a loved one. Of course, sympathize with the grief. It, nothing about the reality of a future hope makes present loss invalid, right? It still hurts to lose a loved one, especially if it's untimely. So yes, we grieve. But it should never be hopeless, like, ah, they are gone, I'll never say that. Uh-uh. Say, don't talk like that. <laughs> Stop that. You're a Christian, don't say that. They're not dead. They are just not in the physical. They've gone to be with the Lord. They've gone to be with the Lord. That's what should comfort you. That's what should comfort you. Amen. All right, so 10 minutes early. I hope today's teaching has been clear. Any questions, first of all? Any questions? Any questions? All right. Yep, it seems it's very clear. And like I said, that's the expectation. There's nothing here that it's confusing. It should be confusing, right? But think about these things. Live here today. We've talked about a lot about practical living. Think about these things. Pray about these things. Increase more and more, verse 1, in your walk with God. Amen. 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 Next week, we're going to round up First Thessalonians. <laughs> Very quick, right? We didn't even know we started because we've been trained to spend <laughs> three months. Which three months? Seven months <laughs> in one book. But yeah, we're going... As soon as we're done with First Thessalonians, we're going straight into Second Thessalonians. That's even shorter. So, who knows? Before the end of the year, I, I hope we can finish First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, um, maybe like Jude, Second Peter. Those little ones we've not done. And so next year we'd have First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, Second Corinthians, Revelations, and Romans. <laughs> I'm not forgetting. Don't worry. So those will be the five books we'll probably hope to wrap up next year. By God's grace, we will be done next year. <laughs> so, um, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I said Revelation. I said 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Revelations, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. So yeah, we're going to... Revelations will probably be like two weeks. It's not going to be two or three weeks. It's not going to be too long. Um... <laughs> So we're going to be done. We're going to be done. Uh, I'm glad. <laughs> you people will give me, give me a few years to rest. <laughs> Let me be idle. <laughs> would, would, uh, would, when God says, we'll do Old Testament. I don't think I'm equipped to even teach that yet. <laughs> Every week we'll be doing three hours just because of how, how, how deep we might end up. Don't worry. When that time comes, I will message you all and say, Avengers Assemble. It's time to go through Genesis. <laughs> Until then, just take what we have as JTT and uh, <laughs> and just meditate on that. <laughs> all right. Let's pray and then we call it a day. Dear Lord, thank you for another amazing time in your word. Thank you because your word not only informs us, but it instructs us. It convicts us of areas in our lives where we can do better. I thank you for this chapter today, 
for that charge to do better. And I pray for every single one of us. I pray for every single one of us that we leave today's teaching with even greater conviction of what it means to be a Christian in today's world, in our conducts, in our words, in our interactions with believers, in our interactions with unbelievers, that we learn to abide in love more and more. And I thank you for the hope of Christianity. I thank you for the hope we have, a hope that never dies, never fails, that we know that when you come, we will will rise up to meet you along with every loved one who ever died in you. I thank you for the hope of eternity. And I pray that even until our next teaching, you keep everyone in good health. You preserve them from evil. And I pray that we're able to see changes in our lives. Positive changes in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. uh, I would share my screen for the benediction and we will call it a day. All right. Can you see my screen? No. Now? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Kindly unmute yourselves and let's read together. Today was... Sorry? Sorry. Never mind. Sorry. All right. Unmute yourselves. Let's read together. One, two, go. I am a diligent student and do all the word. I am a teacher of the word. What is profitable for my growth? By the word... I am corrected by the word. I am righteous. And in the word, my spirit rejoices to God. Last week we were corrected. Today we're trained. In righteousness. All right. Have a great week, guys. Uh, I will see you next week.